Welcome to this week's Rashi Shear, brought to you from the Bet Midrash of Mizrahi in Melbourne, Australia. So, good evening and welcome on this warm evening to Learning Rashi. And we are in Perak Kaf Gimel, we're up to Pasuk Hay, and this is the incident of Abraham um, going through the process of buying Marat Machpelah to bury Sarah. And he has introduced himself with the words, which we talked about last week. And now we come to Pasuk Hay. The Bnei Chait, the Hittites, answered Abraham, saying to him, there is no Rashi on that verse, Pasuk Vav, Shama'inu Adoni, listen to us, my master. Nasi Elokim Ata Batochenu, you are a prince of God in our midst. Bemivchar Kavarenu Kavar et Meitercha, in the choicest one of our graves, bury your dead. Ishmimenu et Kivro Lo Yichle Mimacha Mikavor Meitercha, each person from us. His burial place, lo yichla. Well, Rashi is going to tell us what that means. Mimcha from you, mikavor meitecha from burying your dead. Says Rashi on the words, lo yichla, lo yimna. He will not hold back. So Rashi tells us for the word yichla means not hold back. And Rashi has to tell us this because the word kala kaflam and hey could mean a few things. Uh, we talked about this in the shir on the parsha of Bo yesterday. Uh, it can mean kala to finish, it can mean kiloyi to destroy, it can mean kalil totally. Rashi gives all those meanings in different places. But here it says it does not hold back. And I'd like to say, I always say this with a hint of trepidation, but this is almost straightforward Rashi in that he's telling us what the word means. Because if we didn't have Rashi, we wouldn't know what the word means. We wouldn't be able to make sense of the verse. I say almost because it's interesting Rashi brings not one but two examples elsewhere in the Tanakh to show us what lo yichlev means. So continuing with the words of Rashi after lo yimna, kemo lo tichla rachamecha. David HaMelech says to Hashem in Tehillim Perak Mem, don't hold back, don't uh, restrain your mercy. Interestingly, it's not quite the same word there, it's kaflamad aleph, but kaflamad aleph and kaflamad hey are equivalent. How do I know that? Because we can see it from this Rashi. The Rashi quotes a pasuk involving Kaflamad Aleph to explain Kaflamad Hay. And he also says, Ukamo vayikale hageshem. So that was from Pasha Noach that we learned some time ago. The rain held back. Or, sorry, he held back the rain. I did see an interesting um, point. I'm not sure it's. Hello. Welcome. I'm not sure if this is too much of a reading into Rashi, but it's interesting. Why does he bring two psukim? Uh, there is a contrast between them. Lo tichla rachamecha obviously is about the middah of Hashem's rachamim, Hashem's chesed. David Melech says, don't hold back your chesed, your rachamim. V'yakale ha-geshem is about holding back geshem, which is a sign of, certainly in the, in the context of the mabul, which is a sign of uh, din, of judgment, of punishment. So you've got two pasukim, one of which is about chesed and one of which is about um, din. It's also worth pointing out that in strictly speaking, they're out of order, because you normally expect 
I think you before he quotes a passage from that, explained in the sense of what Abraham introduces himself in Pasuk Dalet, he says, Ger and Rashi in his second explanation says, I can either be a Ger and I will buy it from you, or I'll be a Toshav and I'll take the, play, the, the, the grave, the place uh, by right, because I'm a resident like the rest of you. Um, and one could go a little bit further. He's saying, if I'm a Ger, then I'm a stranger. And what do I need from you? I need Chesed. And if I'm a Toshav, what can I invite in? So Abraham introduced himself to you for this uh, kever, either from Chesed or from Din. And Rashi brings two psukim to when the, the Hittites say, no person will hold back from you, we'll, I, we will give you what you want. He gives two psukim on one, and the first one is about Chesed, and the second one is about Din. Interesting. Moving on. Abraham arose and he bowed down to the people of the place, to the Bnei Chet. Uh, Rashi doesn't uh, go into this style of uh, analysis of the structure of the Perak, but you can see that there are um, three parts to Abraham's speech. So first of all, um, in Pasuk, Gimel, but Yokam Abraham, that's stage one. Um, stage two is introduced in Pasuk Zion, but Yokam Abraham Yishtakula Amaharis that introduces the next section. And the next section says in Pasuk Chet, Itam Leimar, he spoke with them saying, Im Yesh et Nafshachem, Likbor et Meiti Milafanai, Shemauni, if, if, well, I'll tell you straight away, Rashi says on the word Nafshachem. So what is it literally, if there is your soul, well, what does that mean? So Rashi says it means ratzon chem, your will. If it is your will, to bury my dead from before me, shema'uni, listen to me, which patches up with the possible verb, they said shema'inu, listen to us. He says, listen to me, ufiguli be'efran ben soha. We'll come to Rashi on ufiguli, so I'll come back to that in a moment. So let's just talk about Rashi on the word nafshechem. So simple pshat is Rashi is telling us what the word means. Um, and in Chulin, Kuf Kaf, Ahmed Aleph, Rashi there says, um, on what the Gemara is talking about there, but a nefesh is an expression of one's desire. He uses the word there, taiva, expression of one's uh, almost gratification. Um, because uh, the nefesh is, is the seat of your uh, deep-seated thinking, and your deep-seeking thinking includes what's your desire. Um, it's also worth pointing out that once we translated Nafshechem as Rotsonchem, your will, we can understand a little bit more about what Abraham is asking for. He's not just asking for a burial place, which would be, perhaps we can say, required of the Hittites to give to him on the basis of your normal requirement of chesed. A stranger comes and says, please, can I have a burial place? It's, it's, it's required for the Hittites to show hospitality and concern for a stranger and give him a burial place. But he's not asking for that. He's asking for something much more specific. He wants a particular burial place, which is what the next stage is going to go into. So when he asks for that, he's not asking for them to act out of chesed, i.e. obligation, because a Jew is obliged to show chesed. He's asking for them to do more than chesed, and that's why he needs to say, if it is your rotsanchen, if it is your will, then please can you do this for me? So what do I want you to do? Ufiguli be'efron ben soha. 
What does figuratively mean? It says Rashi, Lashon Bakasha. It's an expression of request or entreat would be a fancier English word. Uh, so figuli means entreat for me. Now Rashi doesn't spell out anything here, but um, he's using the principle that he's going to expound later. In fact, let's look, it's only a few pages heads in Kafdalad Pasek Zion. Um, there Abraham is talking to his advisor Eliezer and talking about Hashem who has taken me from the house of my father, the Asher Diber Li, and who spoke, spoke, what's the next word? Li, what does that mean? No, according to Rashi, if you look at Rashi there on Kaftal Zion, uh, in sort of in the middle of Rashi's comment, the Asher Diber Li, Litzorchi, for my needs. As if it said, who spoke about me. And Rashi says this actually in a few places. That li often, I'm not sure if it's every time, but often does not mean to me, but means for me or for on my behalf. And here it has to mean the same thing. Rashi doesn't say anything, but figu li means entreat for me or entreat on my behalf. That's the only way that makes sense. Uh, and then he brings a proof text. Kamo from Rut, where Nami is telling Rut to go away, and Rut says, Al Tifka'i bi, do not entreat me. Um, in other words, do not, well, it goes on to say, do not entreat me, La Azvech, to leave you, because I don't want to. So we see there that Pegimal Ayan means to entreat as well. And if you look at Perak Hafchet Pasuk Yud Aleph, the story is Yaakov is running away. And what happens? And he entreated in the place and spent the night there? Probably not. Rashi says there on the words, Lo his, um, Uh, he just gives examples. Oh, yeah, no, yes. Kamo ufaga bedaveshet verabotenu pirshu lashon tefila. So, well, first of all, Rashi thinks it means to alight on a place. He, he met the place, he alighted there. Um, I forgot uh, where does Rashi say it's like the Gisha. No, maybe he doesn't say it explicitly, but he sounds like he, the way it reads is he, he, he meets the place. He arrives at the place, and Rashi there says, It also means an expression of tefillah. Now, tefillah is interesting. And we all got three meanings. In our Pasuk, it means to entreat. Um, in Kaf Chet Pasuk Yud Aleph, it means to arrive, to meet a place. And it also means tefillah. So what is tefillah? Tefillah is a meeting where you entreat. That's exactly what tefillah is. So tefillah is a combination of the other two meanings. But be that as it may, um, Rashi is telling us, but they, he needs to tell us here what it means, um, at least, I'm not saying definitely, but at least because over there, he tells us it means other things. And if you try to make it mean meet, or you try to make it mean pray, it won't really work here, although sort of it could do, but it's not really what, what's the flow of the narrative. It means entreat. And Rashi tells us that's what it means. So what's the point of entreating with Efron ben Sohar? 
Pasuk Tet, Vayitain, this is still Abraham's words, Vayitain li et ma'arat hamachpela, and he will give me, or he should give me, this is what I want you to entreat, so that he should give me, the cave of machpela, asher lo, which he has, asher biktsei sadehu, which is at the end of the, um, his field, bekesev male, Rashi will explain what that means, but full money, Yitnena li, he will give it to me, betochachem, in the midst of you, la'achuzat keva, as a possession of a burial. So there's actually a lot to say in that passage, but Rashi only actually talks about two things. So the first is the word hamachpela. What is meant by marat hamachpela? So today we use it, or we do use it as a name. We talk about marat hamachpela, um, but Rashi says it's got a meaning. And he gives two interpretations. First of all, bayit va'aliyah al-gabav. It's a house and an upstairs, which is the way Chazal referred to a two-story building, bayit va'aliyah. And the 10th parent of Baba Basra is bayit va'aliyah. So it's a two-story building. There was a downstairs and an upstairs. And that fits with the word machpelah, because what's the root of machpelah? Kafu, which means double. And then he says, acher. It was doubled with couples, with pairs, because as we already saw uh, on Rashi's last week on the words Kiryat Arba, there were four pairs buried there, or there were going to be Adam and Chava, Abraham and Sarah, Yitzchak and Rivka, Yaakov and Leah, not Rachel. Okay, and those are Zugot, they're pairs. So it was Kafula Buzugot. So Rashi has given two explanations. So we should ask why. Yes. No, just, um, I don't have a Is it in the Torah that they would be buried in Mahabha? No, the it's not. But the rest, all the others have got the uh, Yes, indeed. All the others are explicit. Adam and Chava is, is, is Chazam. Okay. Um, so I saw that the problem with the first Pshat is it's not quite the right word. If it's doubled in the sense it's got two stories, then what word would we expect? What's the word for doubled? Kaful, or in here, feminine, kafula. And it's not the word kafula. What's the problem with the second explanation? Correct, correct. Um, well, let's put it this way. This is the part of the Sam too, uh, the B'nai Chait. So first of all, why would they be interested in Adam and Chava and Abraham and Sarah? And secondly, the more obvious question is we know that Abraham's got Rocha Kodesh, and the, the, many times uh, the way the Midrash and Rashi explain what's going on is Abram's got Ruach HaKodesh, but do the um, Chittites know that Abram's got Ruach HaKodesh? And would they be interested? So it, the second explanation doesn't really make sense with the narrative. Hence, you need both explanations. Then he says, Bekesev Malay. Now, how do we translate Kesev Malay? Any ideas? Full money. What's full money? Appropriate price. Appropriate price. What's appropriate about the price? Like a good deal? Fair price. Fair price. When, when, when people negotiate a fair price, usually one of them doesn't think it's a full price. <laughs> so Rashi says, Ashalem kol shavya. I will pay all of its value. So don't think I'm going to pay less than all its value. Don't think I'm going to drive a hard bargain. I will pay its full value. So there is somebody, I forget who, who says, if Rashi hadn't explained it, you might think 
that he's going to fill the cave with money, Kesef Malay, which I think is a bit of a stretch. Um, the simple explanation is what, what is full money as opposed to partial money or empty money? So Rashi says, Ashalem et Shabia, I will pay its full value. Sorry, Kol Shabia. And then Rashi says something very interesting. David Omar la Aravna. David said to Aravna, the Kesef Malay. Look in Divrayamim, Aleph, Kaf, Aleph, Kaf, Dalet. So what's going on there? Why does Rashi say this? Well, the first thing to say is, it's very interesting that the phrase Kesef Malay occurs twice in the entire Tanakh and only twice. Once here and once with Dovid Amalekh. Second thing to say is, what was David offering Kesef Malay for when he said to Aravna, I'll pay Kesef Malay? Any idea? Isn't it? I'm not trying to catch you out, but okay, you probably do know the story, right? you know, right? not recognize the precise detail. So, towards the end of David's life, um, he counted the people, which is very strange, why he should do something which you're forbidden to do. In Devarayamu, it says that the Satan encouraged him to do that, and Hashem responded by, well, through a Navi saying, you're going to be punished, and you can choose which punishment, and he chose a plague, and the plague was devastating, but the plague stopped at the Goren, of Aravna, the threshing floor of Aravna. And David wanted to buy that spot. Because what did he then put on that spot? A well? Nope. The Mizbeach, which then became the site of the Bet Migdash. So he's buying the site of the Bet Migdash. It's pretty hush. Okay? And he pays Kesef Malay. Why does he want to pay Kesef Malay? Because he wants to make this place totally fully transferred to the Jewish people because it's going to be the site of the holiest spot on earth. So if it's going to be the holiest spot on earth, he wants to make sure it's removed any possible legacy of its previous owner. Well, what is that parallel to? Abraham, Abraham is buying Marat Machpelah. Marat Machpelah is not quite the same as the site of the Bet Mikdash, but it's close. After all, it's one of the three places in Eretz Israel which, which we know we have a, a title to. Um, unfortunately, the United Nations doesn't seem to necessarily agree. Um, and this is actually the first spot in Eretz Israel, which is bought on behalf not only of Abraham, but on behalf of the Jewish people, as, as I think we will see. So he wants to buy it, but Kesef Malay, just in the same way that David Melech does. So by Rashi giving this reference to David Melech, which interestingly doesn't add to the shut at all, it's, it's not used as a proof text like, like in other examples. It's just, if you like, a parallel. I think that Rashi is showing us how Abraham wants to totally separate it from its previous ownership and make it totally belonging to the Jewish people. And in order to do that, he pays the full value. So if he pays the full value, he gets ownership of the entirety of the Maratum Achpela. Now we move on to Pasuk Yud. I said we go a bit quicker this week. Because, uh, Rashi's... What's the third category? We have this. We have the Benami Dash, as you said. What's the third place in Tanakh? Anyone know? Keva Yosef in Shechem, which Yaakov bought when he arrived in Shechem. But not the Kesef Malay. Doesn't say Kesef Malay. Uh, it gives the price, though, incidentally. Um, it's in Vayishlach, after he leaves Esav, uh, just before the Dina stuff, which is what happens in Shechem. Um, you can. Lamad uh, Gimel Yud Tet. Okay, 
So it tells us how much he paid for it. Now, I could say, if you're trying to question my drusha, that it's not quite the same. So it became a, a place which, in a sense, was bought by the Jewish people, but it wasn't quite used like the Bet Midash, and it wasn't quite used like Marat Machpela, which is to be the burial place of the Avot. It would turn out to be the burial place of Yosef, who is, it's pretty good, but it's not quite the same totality. So maybe um, my drusha stands out. <laughs> Ephron sat amidst the Benechet, Bayan Ephron Achiti at Abraham, and Ephron Achiti answered Abraham, but as Bene Benechet, in the ears of the Benechet, Lachol Boy Shar Iro, to all the comers of the gate of the city, Lemur, saying. So Abraham has said, I want to speak to Ephron. And it turns out Ephron was there all along. And Ephron's sitting there. And then he says to Abraham, well, he, he starts to say to Abraham. He sort of opens his mouth. What he actually says comes in the next verse. So Rashi says in the words for Ephron, Yoshev, Ketiv Chaser. It's written lacking. Now, uh, this is a comment that, that comes up from time to time. Because, uh, well, usually the word Yoshev, but with other words as well, I suppose. What, what, what is missing? The Vav, which incidentally, if it were there, it were, well, it's read as Yoshev, which is present or past imperfect, which means an ongoing action. Although it's written, because the Vav is missing, it's written Yashav, which is past tense or perfect to be precise. But it's because it's read as Yoshev. So even though we've always learned that you can have a Cholam as just a daughter, you can have a Cholam as a Vav, it's called Chaser if the Vav is not there. So it's, 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 there's nothing wrong with writing it this way, but it is Chaser. So Rashi says there's significance to the chisaron. He says, Kativ chaser, oto hayom minuhu shoter alehem. That day, they appointed him as a policeman or some sort of magistrate over them. Mipnei chashivuto shal Avraham, shahayat sarichlo, because of the importance of Abraham, who needed him. Allah legdula. So he rose to greatness. So let's try and unpack this a bit. So the simple idea is that Ephron wasn't so important, but because Abraham turned up and needed Ephron, that raised Ephron's significance in the eyes of his own people. And they appointed him to some sort of office over them for, on that basis. So, and how do we know all that? From the missing letter, because it says Yoshev, but it's deficient. Now, in what way is Ephron's leadership deficient? Now, it's actually two possibilities which, which are related. The simple one is to say that he, um, the, the, the sitting um, was of a short-term nature. He, it's not that he had been sitting for a while um, because there's something missing in the sitting. So there was something suboptimal, if you like, in the sitting. What's suboptimal? He's only just been appointed. But the other thing is, is, it's very interesting. So we learn from Yoshev that he reached greatness, but the word Yoshev is chaser. So it's funny that a, the proof that he's reached greatness is learned by something missing. So if you, if you unpack all the Rashi, you see that it's because there's no Vav, we work out that he'd been appointed to a great position. So what does it mean that the word, that the, the clue that he's reached greatness is something missing? What it means is that his greatness was itself deficient. 
because he was only great by virtue of Abraham needing to speak to him and buy a cave from him, not because of his own inherent greatness. So there's two aspects to his deficiency. One, he's only just been appointed. And number two, the very appointment was not because of him, it was because of Abraham. So that is the chisaron, that's the, the chaser that is represented by the missing letter. Then Rashi says, on l'chol bo'ishar iro, to all who come to the gate of the city, shakulon batlu mimalachtan, everyone stopped their work, uvo ligmol chesed l'sara, and came to pay kindness to Sarah. Now, let's remember, Sarah's just died. Abraham is mourning for Sarah. He comes to Lisbod uh, Sarah Livkata to eulogize for Sarah and to cry for her. So says Rashi, all these people who are suddenly referred to, there's a whole bunch of people there. What are they doing there? They've come to pay chesed to Sarah. Now, I saw from Nechama Leibovitz a beautiful explanation. I, I really like this because it really typifies Nechama Leibovitz's approach to understanding Rashi. So what else could Lachol, what, what, what other thing could you think about Lachol Boy Shairo? Okay, it's a bit of a trick question, so I'll, I'm not trying to catch you out. I'll tell you what I have in mind. It sounds like it's an expression for passers-by. Lachol Boy Shairo. Now we know that the gate come in and out of the city. Why does Rashi not say, why is Rashi not happy just to say, it means people coming out of the city. And the answer to that is, if you look in written down somewhere, but I have to find it for myself. It's in Vayishlach. It's Here we are. Lama Dalad Kaf Dalad. So the story there is Shechem has kidnapped Dina. Um, and the brothers of Dina, the sons of Yosef, say, if you want to get her back, you will have to be circumcised. And Shechem goes and persuades all his townspeople to go along with the deal. And they agree. Posit Kaf Dalad, the Yishmu El Chamor. They listen to Chamor, the El Shechem Beno, and Shechem his son. And who was it who listened? How do you describe the people? That's the expression to mean everyone who comes by. What do we have here? A different expression, similar but different. Similar but different, which is what gets Rashi excited. So, and gets me excited. Um, Says that's how Rashi knows that Kolboi Shairo doesn't mean the people who happen to be passing by. Because we've got a different expression for that. Now you can ask, how do you know which one is which? You can look at the context and you can see there in whom who is Shechem speaking to. He's speaking to the people of the town. He's not speaking to the people who happen to be visiting that day. He's speaking to the people of the town. So the people of the town is Kol Yotze Shairo. So Kolboi Shairo must mean something else. It must mean the people who came, literally. And so then Rashi says, so I'm talking about the people who came to the gate of the city. Why did they come? And then Rashi says, you know why they came? Everyone had stopped work and come to pay respect to Sarah. Uh, it may be a bit of a stretch. I, I mean, know that they've said that everyone becomes a shoter. Yes. So the whole point about this, 
when you said about uh, Sh Shari Ro, I linked, I remember when you said Lot in Storm was made a judge, but it's a Shofet. Yes, it's a Shofet. So I know there was different there, but yeah, maybe that was just the way that Pasuk's written, like when was he appointed a leader? Does it seem to say that once Abraham in the previous Pasuk and Pasuk Tet kind of said, I want Ephron thing, then he was appointed a leader? Yeah. Because then it comes, Okay, yeah. there's, there's two things which, which I did notice and I haven't got an explanation for. One is, it's very interesting and uh, I really, um, I'm disappointed I didn't see anything. Maybe there is things that I didn't come across. Of the significance of Shoftair. And there's obviously a difference between Lot, who in a very similar fashion is appointed a Shofet. And we know Shoftim and Shotrim have a sort of complementary role, but the Shofet is more senior than the Shoftair. Mm -hmm. So why does Rashi say here he's appointed a Shoftair? Why not a Shofet? Don't know. Don't know. And the other is, it has always actually bothered me, and I haven't got an answer. What's the chronology? Yeah. Does it mean that Avram turned up? and says, can I speak to Ephron? And they said, oh, Ephron's important. We want to make you a shot just now, basically between Pasuk Chet, somewhere between Pasuk Chet and Pasuk Yud. I would say even after the Ephron is appointed like he, he, Ephron was sitting there. So, oh, Ephron. No, no, that, the, the Yoshev is already the expression of his leadership. Of the, okay. So really, we're somewhere between, if we, if we, if we imagine it's chronological, yeah. Yeah. somewhere between Chet and Yud, There's they make the appointment. appointment. Yeah. Unless we say that they already knew he was coming in advance. They knew Abraham was coming in advance. Maybe Abraham puts out some feeders and sent a message. I don't know. And they're pointing just a little bit before. It is an interesting question, is, to which I don't have an answer. Is sitting amongst, like, Yoshev Batov's is that the implication? Ah, no, that's interesting. Like, is it, I, the way I first understood Rashi, which it's not reading really as a kid class there, so it's totally correct, but, like, because the is no vav you can read as yashab like Ephron was sitting for top and but now he doesn't sit amongst them anymore he's more senior to them because he's the oh shepherd. he had been sitting yeah um interesting idea he had been sitting but now he's not um that wouldn't that's if you, you you'd have to read it as like to, yashab, so you read it right, to make it not yeah. even plu perfect but plu perfect yeah. uh, which rashi has said in peridalapot aleph is you have to have the Noun before the verb, which you do have here. <laughs> as well translates it, I will say, I don't Go on. Know, as was sitting. Yeah, but which, everyone, yes, but, which yeah. is what, which is right, that's which is your that's, okay. that's continuous, as present or continuous past, past, which the fancy people call imperfect. Okay, you're wanting to say that he had been okay. sitting. Okay, so I didn't see this, doesn't mean it's not there, and it, but it, it, it's sort of thick, clever. So if you read it as it's written, sorry, it's read as Yoshev, but if you read it as Yashav and it's Ephron Yoshav, Ephron comes before the verb, which according to Rashi makes it blue perfect, which means you'd have to read it as Ephron had been sitting amongst them, but now perhaps wasn't. Um, it's not quite what Rashi says, but, but maybe, but also I was thinking, you, you laid me thinking another direction. Um, the lot Yoshev, Bashar Saddam. Maybe this is why Lot is a Shofet and Ephron is only a Shoter, because the parallel, the very similar Lashon is Yutet Aleph, Yoshev Bashar Saddam. And Rashi says, Yoshev Kativ, Ota Yominuhu Shofet. Almost exactly the same story in Rashi, same derivation. And maybe if you're sitting in the gate, you're a Shofet. If you're sitting amongst the people, you're a shelter. I actually yeah, might I be shut in Rashi there. Yeah, I think I might have come up with a shot in Russia. Thank you for pushing me in that direction.
Okay. Well, yes. On a totally different thing, was the death of Sawa very, um, like, was it was it random, I guess, or not? Like, like the death of um, Rachel was not um, expected, I guess. Well, we, 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 we don't know. Um, Rashi says she died. Rashi makes the point of the uh, of, of, of identifying the time period of the Akedah and the death of Sarah at the same time. That's why Yitzchak was 37 at the Akedah, because he was 37 when his mother died at 127. She gave birth to him at 90. Um, so Rashi says the reason for the connection is she died because of the Akedah. She died because she was told that her son was almost slaughtered and then not slaughtered and her soul departed. Rashi doesn't actually say explicitly, but it sounds like out of joy that he wasn't killed. Um, she uh, you know, reached such a state of know, moral, uh, sorry, mental confusion and joy that she died. Um, so uh, that sounds like uh, that your question. This is all happening after her death. You're not going to bury her before her death. No, 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 but you would organize, I guess, naturally, I guess. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know if they all had shul membership and they paid for the Heber Kedisha uh, on, in, by installments. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I haven't either. <laughs> um, okay, let's move on. Uh, so, Ephron speaks and says in, in Yud Aleph, Lo Adoni, no, my master, Shema'ini, listen to me. You see this repeated, listen to us, listen to me. Hasadeh natati lach, the field I have given to you, v'hama'ara, and the cave, asher bo, which is in it, lacha natatiha, to you I have given it, le'enei b'nei ami, before the eyes of my people, natatiha lach, I've given it to you, again, Kavor Meitacha, bury your dead. So Rashi says, first of all, Lo Adoni, know my master. Rashi says, Lo Tikner Oto Adamim, don't buy it with money. But rather, he goes on to say, Notatilach, I've given it to you. So what does Rashi have to help us with here? Avram says, I want to buy the cave. And, and uh, Ephron's opening word is Lo. No. So what does Rashi have to help us? That's not to say you didn't not to buy the cake. That's right. Correct. I mean, he could be saying, no, I'm not selling. No, go away. No, raise your price. But so Rashi makes it clear that he's not saying that. He's saying no to the money. Don't buy it with money, but rather natatilach. And that's not great insight into Ephron's mindset. It's simple reading the possible. Because the next word is, I've given it to you. So it can't mean, no, I'm not going to give it to you, which is then followed by, I've given it to you. So it must mean, no, about the money bit, but I have given it to you. And then on the words, natati lach, harehi kamo shenatetiha lach, lacha. Harehi kamo shenatetiha lacha. What's he mean? Behold, it is like I have given it to you. What is what's Rashi dealing with here? The exactly, the past tense. He says, I've given it to you, but he hasn't given it to you. So how can he say, I've given it to you? Again, this is a problem that occurs many times. Sometimes even a Kaddish Baruch speaks in the past tense as if it shouldn't be, and Rashi explains that when that happens. Um, so he's saying, it's as if I have given it to you. Now, there's two things that Rashi's done. 
Number one, he's explained the simple problem with the tense. It shouldn't be I've given it, it should be I will give it to you, or I am giving it to you. Why is it past tense I have given it to you? And also, it sounds like it is um, uh, Ephron saying, don't worry, I'm definitely giving it to you. I'm not going to go back on my word. It, it's a done deal. And I think there is a significance to that. Now, at this point, it's worth pointing out that there's two items being discussed. Actually, there isn't, sorry. There was only one, and Ephron has introduced another one into the picture. What's the second one? The field. Exactly. Avram didn't ask for the field. Again, I haven't seen this in Rashi, but it seems to me quite clear. If you look in passive text, Avram said, which is his, which is at the end of his field. He doesn't ask for the field. And Lord, sorry, Ephron is saying, I've given to you the field. And then he says, and the cave, I've also given to you. I've added the word also. It's interesting that Rashi comments on the Natati Lach about the field, but Rashi actually doesn't say the same thing about Natatiha in relation to the cave, even though you might say it's the same question. Now, it could be that Rashi answers it once and that covers the other two. I don't think that's good enough. I think Rashi is normally more precise than that. So it seems to me Rashi covers it once and doesn't say the same about when Ephron says, I've given you also the cave. And I think that's because Rashi knows that Ephron hasn't really given the cave. So he's prepared to give away the field and he doesn't get money for that. And I am pretty sure when Abraham gives him money, he, it's for the sake of the cave. Although at the end he gets the field as well. But I think we can split off now the field. Ephron is giving the field for free, but he's reserving his right. And we know, because we know how the story goes and so does Rashi, he's reserving his rights on the cave. So when he says on the field, Natati um, Lach, that's like genuine. But when he says on the cave, that's not necessarily quite so genuine. And Rashi doesn't say it's as if I've already given it to you. Now, Pasuk um, Yudbet, this, this now is like the introduction to the next part of the conversation. Abraham prostrated before the people of the land because now he's going to give his response to Ephron. Um, the previous section was Avram saying, I want to speak to Ephron, and Ephron making his opening bid. Now comes the next stage, which is introduced by Pasuk Yudbet. Avraham bows down, and then in Yud Gimel he speaks. And he spoke to Ephron in the ears of the people, saying, Ach, I'll leave it ach untranslated for a moment. Im ata lu if you, Lou, as in would only listen to me, there's lots of listening going on. Natati Kesev Hasader, I have given the money for the field. Kach Mimeni, take it from me. Ve'ekbara et meiti shama, and I will bury my dead there. Sorry, Abram is now going back to the field. But um, certainly it, he hadn't asked for the field until this point. And it was Ephraim. to separate if you want. If you assume if you buy the field, usually you buy the cave as well, but it's in the field, would you assume? Well, there's an interesting thing, and uh, someone to say there's a whole uh, Gemara pill talk here about when you buy property, like when you buy something on somebody else's property, do you automatically get the route, the pathway to that place? If you buy like the back of somebody else's field, does as part of the deal, you automatically get a, a pathway through the field to get to the whatever you bought? It's a Makloket Amara Tanaim in the Gemara. 
Um, and some want to say that's part of what's going on here. Uh, but I, I don't want to go there. That, that really gets very complicated. Um, Can you also argue, or maybe not, but it says like, it's uh, so they hope like at the edge of the field. I don't know if that's like, yeah. Well, I, I read that as saying you don't, it's not the field, yeah. It's not the field, it, that's just a, a, a geographical marker. Um, he's not asking for the field, it, it seems to me he's not asking for the field, but then everyone throws in the field and he says, I'm going to pay for the field. Okay, now notice he says about the money, uh, Natati, I have given what, what's interesting about that, yeah. he hasn't. Good point. Okay, so we'll come back to that. Uh, uh, take the money from me, and I will bury my dead there. Says Rashi on the words, You say to me to listen to you, and take it for free. I don't want that. But, oh, uh, if you would only listen to me. Now there, halavai, he's translating lu. Lu is a word which he said um, at the end of Vayechi, uh, has got various meanings. Um, he had a whole long treatise about the various meanings of lu, uh, even though this is beforehand. So we need to know exactly what lu means, and he's telling us it means halavai, if only. But here, let's go back to the word I haven't translated, the word ach, because this is the key to understanding Rashi here. What does ach mean? Okay, so, well, it, it can, you can translate it as but. It's also a word which is sometimes untranslated, but Chazal always take it as a limitation. Um, if it's, I'm trying to think of a good example, I can't think of an example off the top of my head, but uh, if it's ach, so-and-so, it means not all of so-and-so from a halachic perspective. But here, if it means ach, again, the source in the Hamlet, um, what must it come in after. It must be a response to something. You don't start a sentence with but. We all taught in your English writing, you mustn't start a sentence with but. What you can say but is in response to something else. I want to do X, Y, Z, but it's going to be different or, or whatever. But can't be the beginning of your opening words. I mean, even apart from the grammatical, from the stylistic and the form of something, whether you can start a sentence with but, it makes no sense to start your line in the conversation with the word but. So what does Rashi do? He gives us the first line, which the Torah doesn't. He gives us the first half of Abraham's speech, and we in the in the Chumash have only got the second half. So what's the first half? So because Abraham seems to be starting his words with but, Rashi has to give us the first half, which the word but is then going to follow on from. And if he's saying, but I want to pay, then it's sort of obvious, but he's responding to, you don't want me to pay, but I will pay. I do want to pay. Um, then he says, on the brush, he says on the words natati. Now he translates it into French. Um, one of the problems, there are many problems with Rashi's translations into French. And one of them is that every Chomish has got a different spelling in Hebrew letters to be, read in, to be read in French. That's the first thing. The second thing is how do you read the Hebrew letters with a French accent? The third thing is what does that word in medieval French actually mean? So I saw this word, um, Artscroll has it as donnay, D-O-N-A-I. Um, if you use Google Translate to translate the word donnay, it says never heard of it. <laughs> it gives you something in Spanish instead. Um, 
that may be, to be fair to Artscroll, because this is medieval French and Google Translate probably isn't so good on medieval French. Um, the Artscroll there also says that it's a special construction to mean something promised but not yet done, which is like very convenient, niche. isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's very niche. Other translations just put it in the present tense, don, D-O-N-N-E, which from my uh, primary school French, I remember means to give in the present tense. I have donish. You have donish mm -hmm. with a, how do you spell it? Uh, just salad bab non Yes, I, I have that as well, but I'm not sure how it's pronounced. I don't think it's an ish on the end. It might it be don. Like or it could just be an s. It could be a sin rather than a shin. Yes. Anyway, anyway, it's some sort of present tense. Okay. So, Rashi. Uh, There's the same problem we had in the previous passage, but a different answer. What's the same problem? Yeah, so Natati is past tense, and he says, Natati Kesev Asadeh, I've given the, the Kesev of the field, then he hasn't. So why can't Rashi say, it's as if he's already given it, end of story. So a number of reasons. Um, one suggestion is, um, I'm not sure how this works actually, uh, because he can't say I've given it because Ephron's made clear he doesn't want to receive it. But that sort of works for the previous case as well. No, it doesn't actually, because in the previous case, Ephron said, I've given you the field. Avram did want to receive the field. He just didn't want to receive it for free, but he does want the field. Whereas this time he's offering to Ephron something that Ephron doesn't want to receive, the money. Next point is that there's a fundamental difference between money, which Avram says I've given, and field, which um, Ephron says I've given. There's a fundamental difference, one's land and one's movable property. Uh, the Gemara, always makes distinctions between the two. And land is not going to move from A to B. It's there before it's given, it's there after it's given. So the land is staying still and Ephron can say, I have given it. Whereas the money, where is it physically now? Okay. It's in Abraham's pocket or in Abraham's hand. So while it's physically here and not there, he can't say, I have given it. And the third thing, which I think is the clincher, is the words in the Pasuk is, Natati Kesepasadeh, next words, so obviously he hasn't given it yet. And therefore Rashi can't say like he did in the previous case, it's as if he's already given it because it clearly isn't. So then he has to say, Natati, I'll translate into French as donne or don or donish or something in a present tense sense. Or if Artscroll is right, and I'm sure it's got a basis for it, donne, it's something that has been given but not yet manifested, which, as you say, is, is a very sort of niche translation, a very niche grammatical form, if that's what it means. Um, right. Uh, so I, I don't think we quite finished the Rashi. Natati ton balaz, but in French. Mukhan hu etzli. And now Rashi rubs in. It's, he hasn't given it. It's ready with me. natati As if uh, I wish I'd already given it to you. And that's why he says Natati. Now Rashi is coming back to say why Natati. Because as far as I'm concerned, you know, I mentally psyched myself up, but I've already given it to you. And I wish I had given it to you, but it's not the same as having given it to you for the reasons I said before. Now we go on to Pasuk Yudalit. Bayan Ephron et Abraham le Marlo. Ephron replied to Abraham saying to him, for which there is no Rashi. Pasuk Tetvav, Adoni Shimoaini. My master, listen to me. Every time it's listening to me. Uh, so this is Ephron replying. 
Eretz Arba Me'ot Shekel Kesef Beini Uveincha Mahi Ve'et Meitcha Kavor. My master, listen to me, the land of 400 shekels of Kesef, of silver, Beini Uveincha, between me and you, Mahi, what is that? Ve'et Meitcha Kavor, and bury your debt. So Rashi says on the words Beini Uveincha, between two loving ones like us. Mahi, what is it? Chashuva, what is it? Mahi de Chashuva, what's it worth? Nothing. But leave the business and bury your dead. Now, I'll say, before we look at Rashi further, I will say straight away, what does Abraham do in the next Pasuk? He gives him the money. Why is he giving the money? Ephron keeps saying, don't give me the money. But the opening words of Tet Zion is finally, after all these requests from people to listen to each other, finally, what happens? He listens and he listens and he weighs out the money. What does it mean he listens? He did before. Yeah, before that, it means he understood. It means he understood what Ephron was really getting at. Right? So when the pastor, when the next pastor says that Abraham gave him the money after listening to him, it means this is Russia doesn't need to help us with this. This is obvious. It means that Abraham heard what Ephron really meant. Ephron said, "Don't give me the money," but what he meant was, "Give me the money." And he said, "You know, it's, it's worth four hundred shekels, which is what's that between us?" Meaning, "Give me four hundred shekels." That's what Abraham heard. I.e., Abraham understood. But anyway, that's jumping a little bit. Let's look at Rashi. So first, he basically says two things in this uh, comment, which I want to highlight. Between two loving people like us. What else might you have thought when Ephron says, So to be honest, I always read it as two rich people like us. You're rich, I'm rich. For, you know, for us, it's, a, it's, it's a small potatoes, as I think people say. So what's 400 shekels? But Rashi says that's not what he means. Because even if they were both rich, it's still 400 shekels. Right? And it's not necessary to be waived. But what he's saying is, because we are such good friends, because we are ohavim, then it doesn't matter. It, it's worth waving. It's worth passing over. So it, it, because in order to make sense of Ephron saying, you don't have to pay it because it's between me and you, Rashi has to explain the significance of me and you. I think you might be reading in too much. Okay. Ohavim means people who are good friends. I mean, I think today we have the problem with the word love, but we only understand it in a particular sense. So I think yeah, in classical Hebrew, we can use it in a slightly broader sense than we do it today. Um, our, uh, applying our limited understanding of love back to... Um, for instance, biblical characters create tremendous problems. David and Yonatan yeah. were in love. Sure. Right? Some people have a very perverted understanding of what that means. It doesn't mean anything unpleasant. It means they were loving. They were very, very, very good friends, like brothers. Anyway, uh, I don't think Ephron and Abraham were really like that, but Ephron says it, according to Rashi, for the propaganda. Now, what else has Rashi done that's really clever? Again, I can't believe it. She, she has a particular book, by the way, where she goes through certain passages in Bereshit and applies her particular style of uh, analysis. And this happens to be one of them, which is why I keep quoting her. Um, she's explained, sorry, she has explained that Rashi has explained one letter. Ooh. 
Yes. The Vav? Which Vav? The one in the middle of Uve Necha. No. <laughs> the one of the et Metcha Kavor. And bury your dead. What must and follow? Something. <laughs> it must follow something. Look at Ephron's words. Ephron says, 400 shekels between me and you, what is it? And bury your dead. What's Rashi added? Look carefully in Rashi. He's added, Eila, Hanach et Hamecher, but leave the business, the et Metcha Kabor, which Rashi then repeats those three words to show that Rashi's added the previous three words. So why does Rashi add the previous three words? So the Vav follows on from something. Because otherwise you can't have a Vav following on from nothing. It follows on from the words that Rashi adds into the conversation, Hanach et Hamecher. So now we move on to Pasuk Tet Zion. Um, as previously stated, by Yishma Abraham El Afran. Abraham, listen to Efron. Um, yes. Um, Rashi, maybe it's just our guess. Here he sp um, spells um, Kavur different to how it's brought in the, in the Pasuk. So that we look into that at all? I, it doesn't look like that to me in my book. I got above in Rashi's. And you haven't? Uh, I haven't. So I suspect not. Um, I don't think there's a great uh, position amongst the printers so whether we put every verb or, or male. I don't think so. Um, but funny you should say that because, uh, yeah, we have got time for, the, for Tet Zion. Um, so uh, let's go back to the, to the text. By Yishma Abraham el Ephron. Abraham listened to Ephron. By Abraham le Ephron. And Abraham weighed out for Ephron et the money. Which he spoke. But as in the ears of the Chittites, Arba Meot Shekel Kesef over La Socher, 400 shekels of silver, um, which is passed by merchants. So Rashi says on the words Ephron, the second Ephron, Chaser Vav, it's written without a Vav, it's missing a Vav. Instead of Ephron, it's Ephron. Well, I've exaggerated that. Of course, we have got a dot, which makes the same sound, but the Vav is missing. And it's missing compared to every other place where Ephron has been mentioned in this parsha. It's with a vav, and here it's without a vav. So Rashi feels that's something that needs explaining, and he explains it as follows: He spoke a lot, and he didn't even do a little. He said, "I'm going to give you the field, for, the field in the cave for nothing." And in fact, what does he do? He took big shekels, kantarim, which is a French word, um, which means a hundred times as much, or it, it, I think it's the unit of currency, which was a hundred times the, the next unit of currency. Shenemar, how do we know it was these big shekels? What does mean? That's accepted as a shekel everywhere. And there are places where their shekels are big, shehain kantarin, and those are the, the unit is the kantarin, and in French that is centiers in French, which is something to do with cent, which is something to do with a hundred. Um, and that's it. I'm going a little bit quickly because I'm running out of time, but it's, I think it, we can deal with this fairly straightforwardly. So Rashi has done two things, or he's focused on one. The second thing he's done is tell us what obel socher means. Obel socher means acceptable in any place. It's a legal tender throughout the merchant world. And what does that mean? It has to fulfill the, like the 
the highest common denominator of what shekels are. So the highest value that people ascribe to a shekel in some places is a hundred times what other people call a shekel. It's a big shekel. Um, so why? What's the significance of that? That uh, not only does Ephron not give him the cave for free and waive the four hundred shekels, but he demands four hundred big shekels. And if it's a hundred times a regular shekel, that, that's a lot. That's a very very great deal. And that is. Which is reminds of, of the Mishnah in Pekei Avot, which is it was Shammai's maxim to uh, say little and do a lot. Ephron is the opposite, and that explains what Rashi's uh, point of entry onto this is why it's Ephron without a vav. We will stop there. Didn't quite finish, but next week we will finish this story and start on the big subject of Parsha Chai Sora which is the search of the wife for, for, for the wife of Yitzchak. Just so the, the Vav is Haser to show that he's lacking in some way, but his character is that Yes, right? yes, yes. Yeah. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.